How's everyone doing? Got a nice full room this morning. It's good to be here. My name is Josh. Uh, if you don't know me, I'm the lead pastor here at Resonate. And I'm just so grateful that you guys are here. Um, can we thank Omid? This morning was a bit of a hectic uh, experience. Middle C went out right away. From my perspective, it just looked like Omid had really long arms. So that's good. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> cool. Wait, this is a really exciting time for us. This is your first time here. Um, you feel free to rest, take out your phone. Uh, this is not aimed at you. <laughs> well, we have to talk business for just a second, um, and this is something we rarely do here, but it's a really exciting time for us. This, we're coming into our, our next year. We're coming into 2017, and to go into 2017, you might notice that on your seats and butts, um, there's actually, someone want to gr- grab me one of these? There is your normal sort of Sunday card, and then there's this one that looks like it was printed in 1983, and that is your uh, Resonate giving card. And so here's the deal. Most churches, you will go in and you're gonna get, you're gonna get pitched all December long, right? I don't want to do that. <laughs> don't make me do that. So here's what we're gonna do. I'm not gonna do messages about giving. I'm not gonna do big speeches about giving, because I think that's kind of like uh, a little bit shady. What I'm going to do is just be straight up with you. In 2017, we need to increase our giving, and the bottom line is that we need to increase it by $3,000 additionally per month, which isn't really that huge for a church of our size. It's big, but I really, really think that we can do it. We, we have partnered this year with uh, the People Concern. Uh, we've partnered with IJM. We have partnered with uh, Treasures, and we've d- been able to do all of that with just our time and our talents. And coming into 2017, I want to do like at least double that. But to do that and continue this good news, we have to show up and we have to do that. And it's going to take all of us. So uh, if this is something you can accomplish this morning, that's awesome. But I would really encourage you just to go home and pray. And basically what this is, is you'll fill it out and you'll say, uh, we're gonna, my financial covenant for the year will be blank per month for a total of blank for 2017. Give us your name, your address. This is basically just like a promise between you, your family, God, that here's how we're going to serve this coming year with our finances and our gifts and our generosity. And uh, as we do that, we're going to be able to see and map out the next year. It really helps us get a feel for where we're going to be at and all that kind of stuff. If you have questions on this um, and questions about tithing in general and that sort of biblical practice, you can talk to me uh, or you can actually email Sean, who's right back here. Uh, It's just sean at resonate.church. We got Sean an email address this week. That's super spiffy. Um, so yeah, you, you, can, uh, you can get uh, in touch with him. You, you might also be gotten in touch with this week, get in touch with. I don't know what the present tense is there, but you will be uh, called, emailed, something like that, just to touch base and, and remind you guys. And, and, uh, but yeah, we want to make this short and sweet. It's like the worst thing to be talking about in church, but we have to talk about it, and we have to do it, and we have to be generous to move into 2017. So there you go, and money rant. Please don't make me keep talking about money. Deal? Are we good? Deal? Okay. Let's pray, and let's get into uh, what we're going to be talking about this morning. So God, I am, uh, I'm just incredibly grateful for the Christmas season. It's a time where um, generosity comes not just through presents or ties or anything like that, but generosity comes just with the generous amount of blessings and time that we get with those that we love, that we get with people that maybe we don't get to see all the time. And so I'm just thankful for a time in the year that we get to culturally center around that. And this morning we're going to talk about what that really means as a follower of Jesus. Not just what it means with presents, Santa, all the good stuff that comes along with it, which we love. We want to talk about what it really means for you to have stepped into human history, for you to have been among us. 
And the hope that this, this day and this season really holds, this hope of Advent where we wait with expectation uh, for you to arrive. So I pray over this space this morning, God, do crazy, awesome things, and just let us have fun as we dive into the story of Joseph. Amen. So, all right, switching gears. Uh, I'm calling this morning, my morning talk is called Fishing Poles and Fireworks, and it's a Christmas story, and I swear to you that's going to make sense as we get towards the end of this message. Uh, But this morning, we get to dive into the real story of Christmas. If you're joining us in the story series, we've been going through sort of the big hits of the Bible. So as a new church, we launched like two months ago, relaunched officially, and we've been going through like the major heavy hitters in the Bible. So we took out a children's Bible, went to the table of contents, and said, what are like the big stories we would have covered in Sunday school or in, in youth groups and stuff like that? How can we journey as a new young church through these like really big vital stories? And so we've done stuff like Noah and the Flood, David and Goliath, sort of like the big overarching stories. And today, we're going to talk about a guy who doesn't get a lot of airplay. So this is more of like a B-side. But it's more of like, like the deep cut that if you really, really like the record, this becomes your favorite song. And that is the story of the father, the earthly father of Jesus, named Joseph. And so we don't see a lot in the scriptures about Joseph. In fact, there's only two chapters that Joseph is featured in, and he has not a single line of dialogue. So this is the, the earthly father of Jesus has absolutely nothing to say, and he's only got two chapters. That feels a lot like fatherhood for some of us in here. Um, <laughs> All we know about David is that he was a blue-collar worker. He was a carpenter. Uh, we know he's from the line of David. So this is King David, David and Goliath. So he's actually from that family line. We learned about that last week. Uh, we know he was around at the birth of Jesus and through Jesus' adolescence, and then we lose him. So the Bible just seems to drop him. And it's important to ask why. Like when something goes missing, it's just as important to dive into that text as it is when something keeps on revealing itself. Why did Joseph go? So most scholars maintain that Joseph passed away sometime during Jesus' adolescence before the age of 30 when Jesus kind of launched into his ministry. But more important than that, I don't want to focus on like the historical fact, all that kind of jim jam. I want to get into why the gospel writers found it so important, especially in, uh, in Matthew, which we're going to be covering this morning, found it so important to open the book with this man, Joseph, and then why it was so important for Joseph to leave the scene. Why is it important that Joseph is around, and why is it important that Joseph is gone? Um, So one thing is clear. Joseph was a man who was willing to take up grace against all the religious odds of the time. Joseph is a person of radical acceptance in the face of extreme legalism, and I think that's a really amazing person to have been the provider and caregiver of Christ. So that's our main theme this morning, besides fishing poles and fireworks, which we're going to get to, is radical grace. Uh, so let's dive into the scripture together. The words are going to be behind me. This is Matthew uh, chapter 1, 18 through 25. And it's a little bit lengthy. It's kind of a chunk, but bear with me because <laughs> this is all Joseph gets, guys. So please give him the time of day. Uh, it starts at verse 18. Let's go into this. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Stuff gets weird right away. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. And that's a very important line to hold on. So had in mind to divorce her quietly. Keep on to that. Uh, Verse 20. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. 
She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive to give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and then they gave him the name of Jesus. So this is the Christmas story, right? So I think it's really interesting. There's only two books in the Bible that actually feature the Christmas story, and this, this sort of story that we, we celebrate every year and that Christmas uh, like pageants are made out of and all that kind of stuff. It's only in two books, and only one of them actually features all the mangers and the sheep and all that kind of stuff. This is Luke, and Luke starts out with not the mangers, the sheep, the wise men, the star, the shepherds, and all that kind of stuff. It starts out with this strange story. Well, one, it starts out with just a list of names, which we're going to get to, which is a genealogy, and for some reason that's vitally important. And then it moves on to the story of this man, Joseph. So why is it that Matthew thought it was so important to go from mangers, Christmas lights, like really cool stuff that we can base plays on, stuff that sells, to just this man, Joseph. And I think it has to do with the character of Joseph and who he is. See, Mary gets a lot of airplay, and we're going to focus on Mary next week. She's unbelievable. And, and actually, in the Protestant tradition, we don't pay enough attention to her. But we're going to do that next week. This week, I really want to zero in on who Joseph is and why he was so important and why Matthew chose to focus on him first. See, to Matthew, the drama was not in the manger or the animals or any of the stuff that we sort of stereotypically think of when we think of the Christmas season. The drama was in the tension of religion and relationship. So the drama was in the tension of religion and relationship. And this sort of drama is actually very, very deep. When we look at it through the lens of this culture, it involves scandal, disgrace, and even a potential death sentence. This is a story about grace against all odds. And two unlikely parents are going to be put to the test to follow God or follow the law. And it's out of this tension that Jesus is born. So get that, like, out of this tension, follow God, follow the law, Jesus comes into the scene. Um, So the family line. Let's look at a little bit of history. Uh, We place ourselves in the shoes of Mary and Joseph. It's helpful to get some context. So in those days, where you came from was very important. You'd be like Jesus of Nazareth, right? That's how we know Jesus. So where you came from was part of your identity. But even more than that, who you came from was what mattered the most. In Scripture, genealogy is everywhere. If you want to be a completist about reading the Bible, you're going to be reading a whole lot of lists of names that you're going to have no idea what the heck they're about and a lot of very strange Hebrew names that are hard to read. Uh, But it seems to be that the, the Scripture writers want to tell us something through the story of those people. We don't even know who some of the people are in the genealogy that opens up Luke. There are 14 generations worth of names that open up the book of Luke, and some of them were just like, who, have a go, who, what, who is that? They're, they're only there to sort of move the story along. But it opens up with that because it explains that Joseph is from the line of David, right? And then it explains that Mary, and we learn this in, in the book of Luke, uh, that Mary is from a priestly line. So we have Joseph, who's from the line of David, King David, sort of a big deal, and then we have Mary, who's like from this priestly family. So from those two things, we can gather this. Like, they came from two very, very, very religious households, right? The line of David would have been held to a really, really high religious standard, and so would have, like, the the priestly line of Mary. This would have been two families, and they would have been betrothed, so like the arranged marriage. This is two families putting together two people 
for the purpose of like, and, and they would both be held, their marriage would be held to this very, very high, strict, lawful, religious standard. Um, so I, you can kind of see where this is headed, but the, this is the story. Joseph would have been from this righteous family, and so would Mary. So Joseph is this noble man who then finds out that his wife is pregnant with someone else's child, and he doesn't know this is God right away. So you have to remember and sort of put yourself in the story here and think of that hurt. Here's Joseph doing all the right things, and then all of a sudden this affair, what looks like an affair, enters the scene. right? And so Joseph is actually doing what he thought uh, would have been great, and he would have just sort of quietly divorced her. Because in this time, if, if you committed adultery or you did anything like that, it was actually like, it was, it was grounds for a death sentence. This was like a really serious, serious thing. And so even in the face of all this hurt, he's been, like, adultery has entered the scene, and Joseph is still calm and cool enough to go like, okay, we're going to handle this, and we'll handle it quietly so that Mary is safe. So there's still great integrity in what he's doing. So at this point, you might ask, too, like, they were just engaged. They weren't actually married, so why would you need a divorce? But see, in the Hebrew world, marriage didn't work like that. So when you were engaged, it was still a form of legal marriage. It's just you wouldn't consummate the marriage for about a year. So you'd have this period of engagement, but that was still a lawful, sort of under-the-wedding banner type thing, and it would still require a divorce, and thus it would still require Mary to put herself in a very, very dangerous position. And so hold this with you. Joseph was devastated and all at once tries to be good. So we're learning more and more about this guy. Let's take a break from the story for a second so I can tell you uh, a story that's, that's going to be the reason this sermon is titled what it's titled. So I go, I go to my grandparents' place every summer, and it's in Vermont. And uh, it's like on a lake. It's this really beautiful like cabin home. We've been going there since we were kids. And my brother and I have this tradition where we go out and we go fishing every year. And I'm not lying, we've done this for 20 years now, and we have caught one fish one time. And it was with my grandpa when we were kids. So we've got one fish in all the 20 years, and now we go out, and we kind of just use this as an excuse. Like, if you've never been to Vermont, Vermont is known for, like, two things. Well, three things. One, hippies. And then two, it's Ben and Jerry's. And then three, it's beer. So to me, this is just, like, absolute heaven. So you go out there, and... Uh, we usually use this time, my brother and I, to catch up on the year. You know, like, he's now in Santa Monica, so I get to see him a lot more. But before, this would be our, like, one time to catch up throughout the year, and I'd learn about his life. And essentially, just be, like, sitting on a boat at midnight and throwing, like, a hook into the water. And just, like, if something hit, we'd be like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> this is really happening. Uh, but this particular year, we had just seen my Aunt Joan, who owns all the fishing poles. My grandparents own no fishing poles. So we had to go to her little shed to go and grab uh, the fishing poles. And she had seen us earlier today, and she said, hey, get the fishing poles, and you know what? Anything else you want out of the shed, like, go and grab it. And we're like, okay, that's kind of odd for you to mention that, but yeah, we'll grab whatever we need out of your shed. So we go to the shed. It's late at night. It's about midnight, um, which, again, is not a great time to go fishing because fishes sleep. I didn't know that, but they sleep. So we're about to embark on our fishing trip when we open up the shed, and, like, this glory light from heaven shines in. And this was July 5th, the day after Independence Day. And so, again, this is midnight in the middle of nowhere in Vermont and on a lake, so this is safe, what I'm about to tell you. When we opened up the shed, thanks to my second cousins, the thing was lined wall to wall with fireworks. 
like, and these are like Vermont fireworks. You cannot get your hands on these in California. So I just walked into a room of explosives, and it was that moment where my brother just looked at each other and we're like, we're not fishing anymore, are we? <laughs> this is now turned into an entire night of fireworks. So we took the fireworks out on the boat, and it was a night of throwing firecrackers into the water, and I... I mean, we probably killed some fish that way, but it wasn't exactly the right way. Uh, but it was a great night of just pyrotechnics. Now, stick with me here, because I know this is going to be a stretch. <laughs> this is the very story of Joseph, right? And this is the very story of us. This is a story that we need to lean into. I think there are so many moments in our lives where we walk into a situation expecting the fishing pole, and God hands us fireworks. Joseph is going along... In his world, he's a carpenter. He's a blue-collar guy. He's like, this is going to be a steady life. I'm getting married. I'm going I'm to have a family. And in that tradition, I'm going to have a family that's a line of David. This is like a really cool thing to be able to pass this on. But his life sort of had this quiet, calm trajectory. And then out of nowhere, there's an affair that comes into the thing, and then an angel that comes to Joseph, and his life is changed. I think what we really need to focus on in the Christmas story is that there's a choice presented to Joseph in this moment, right? It's, he could have gone through with that divorce, and he could have said, like, okay, we're just going to do this quietly. We're going to get out. He could have exited that story. But instead, he has the courage to actually jump in. The way I was taught this story when I was a kid was always from the perspective of Mary. So Joseph was sort of the guy that went along with Mary. So... Mary has this thing, and it's more like, it was more taught to me like, Mary really needed, or Joseph really needed to trust Mary, right? But there's a huge danger in teaching the story this way. What we have to understand is that Joseph had to make this choice just as much as Mary had to make this choice, and they were engaged, right? So what that means is not just like, I'll just go along with this adulterous woman and hope to God she's telling the truth. What it means is that they both had to make a choice, and this goes from it being an affair to consummation outside of the legal grounds of marriage. And if we're going to sit in sort of the legalistic like craziness that both of their families would have been involved in, that would have required a lot of pain and tension to walk out of their tradition to follow God. So what their culture and their family would have told them is that this is wrong. But they actually had to listen to God. They had to follow what God was doing more than the religious tradition of the day and more than what even their family said. And that is a huge, huge risk. I want to really impart this on you. The story of Christmas is not about acceptance. It is about love. And that is the difference between acceptance and love. Acceptance says, I will just go along with it. And love says, I will go along with you. Right? It's not putting up with it, saying, I'm jumping in, and I'm going to take on part of this blame, and I'm going to take on this life with you. We're both going to journey through this together because God has called us into something remarkable. The danger, guys, in the Christmas season is that we're walking through this the same way my brother and I were, expecting to catch nothing, <laughs> coming into a boring shed where the poles that we've used for 20 years were going to sit there, and we were going to go about our business. But the story of Joseph tells us that when something radical comes into your life and something great comes, you have to make the choice and turn into it. You see, the decision that Joseph and Mary made would have put them on the fringes 
of the religious order. It would have put them on the outside. And guys, this is what's so cool about this. We're getting to see characteristics of Jesus through his parents. Is it any wonder that Jesus always went to the fringes, always went to the other, always went to the beaten and the broken down? It's because he was born in a family that would have felt the sting of the religious fundamentalists sort of peering down into them. Jesus would have come from a tradition in which his parents and him, his very existence on earth, would have been wrong in the eyes of the religious fundamentalists at the time. There's care and love built into the story even before Jesus enters the scene. And it gives us a remarkable window and insight into who this Jesus is and the stuff that he's going to do. I was struck this week when I was thinking about sort of stories of Jesus and, and, and where he comes from with this lens on it. And there's this story in the Bible where uh, Pharisees are trying to catch Jesus in his sort of like act, right? They're going to call him out on something really, really biblical, and they're going to see like if he, if he responds the right way. And out of that, this woman who has just committed adultery comes out, and the Pharisees have him, and they take him, and they say, teacher, what should we do with this woman? I say, because the law says that we should put her to death. We should stone her right here. Now, remember, this is the same exact position that Jesus' mom would have been in. Think about that level of love. And he, he does the most awesome thing in the world. The scripture actually describes him just drawing on the ground. So it's almost as if he's like, hold, please. <laughs> Draws on the ground, picks up, and then just drops down this like, okay, yeah, which, whichever one of you has never sinned, you go ahead. Cast the first stone. When we can remember where Jesus came from in the context of that story, that not only shows us that the divine was working, but the human was working. Jesus cared for us on this planet while he was here in both a human way and in a divine way. He had felt that sting, that love, that hurt, and he was able to act from the godly and from the human And that, my friends, is the story of Christmas. It's the story of God coming down into our struggles and into our pains and into our hurts and into our lives and experiencing it for himself. It's remarkable. It's crazy. There's hardly any other tradition in the world that focuses on that kind of love and that kind of grace to step into this and to die for us eventually. It's a huge, huge thing. So I invite us, as we walk through this Christmas season, to kind of pay attention, look around. Maybe there are little fireworks hidden in everyday life that we just need to go, oh, this isn't what I'm here for anymore. I think of the grand trajectory of Joseph's life in that moment when he says yes to the angel, and he goes, yeah, okay, I will, I will accept Mary as my wife, and I will jump into this. Things turn like this, flip around for him. And that's the very purpose of Jesus. Jesus was all about this, this Hebrew word. Everyone say this with me. This is going to be fun. It's called teshuva. Can everyone say teshuva? Teshuva. Now, teshuva literally means to turn. So it means you're on one path, and then you turn, and you redirect. And teshuva becomes this word in Scripture that we now, uh, we now put into the Bible as repentance, so repentance, this idea of like, I'm sorry, God, it's sort of like confused a lot of time with this like religious like guilt. Repentance is actually just to turn. 
to say, oh, God, you're going this way. I'm going to turn, and I'm going to move with you. And a lot of that just sort of requires us dying to ourselves over and over and over again and say, I thought that I had it all figured out. I thought I had my trajectory. I thought I was going this way. And then Teshuba, to turn, or fireworks, <laughs> to blow up. We have to be paying attention to what God is doing. And I think Christmas is a perfect reminder because we're just seeped in the Christian story, whether we like it or not. Everyone is seeped in it. So let's lean into it and just lean into that radical grace this morning. As a part of leaning into that radical grace, uh, we're going to eat some of this lovely holly together. Uh, We're going to do that in a way that is so deeply meaningful in the Christian faith. And we're going to take communion together, Eucharist. And so you're going to have a chance to kind of come one row at a time down here. You can rip off, uh, we like to say you can rip off a piece as big as you believe God's promises are for you. So get in here and just get a giant piece of this thing and dunk it in the wine uh, and take communion. You don't have to wait for us. You can kind of take it right here. Um, The other thing that I want to make really, really clear and that I forget to say sometimes is this table exists for your generosity as well. So as we're coming into 2017 and we're pushing for this finance thing, this is your space to do this here in this place. We don't pass the baskets. It's sort of this thing you can do with God right here as an act of worship. And then also, Lee will be right over here if you want to pray with anyone. Uh, Or if you just want to use this as a space of prayer, that's totally cool too. Uh, But please do that. And um, can I just pray for us before we go? God, I'm I'm just, uh, just so grateful for Christmas, for for you. Lord, learning about the family that you were born into, the care and the boldness that you were born into, these two that were brave enough to follow God and not culture, these two that were brave enough to understand that you were at work and that you could not be ignored. Then we get to see the little boy of Jesus, the teenager of Jesus, this, this individual that was raised by these really two incredible, incredible parents. So God, as we, uh, as we just experience the Christmas season, we experience this next week, I pray that you would have us focus on that idea of teshuva, to turn, to repent, and to just be with you, and lean into the joy that that brings us, lean into the awesome, awesome joy that that brings us, amen. So you guys can come uh, just one row at a time.